The good news for us as followers of Christ, we do want more of God. And God uh, approaches us with arms wide open. And if we seek Him, uh, then He will be found by us. He, He makes Himself available to us. And the more of God that we have, the more He saturates our hearts, saturates our thoughts, saturates our will, our emotions, uh, the more life we experience and the more life we share with others. So that's the good news. The, the bad news is that as followers of Christ, many times we get distracted from wanting more of God and we want more of something else. And that really is the story that we're going to begin looking at today and, and uh, for the next several weeks as we look at the story of Israel and Judah uh, at, uh, during the time of Micah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Micah chapter 1. Uh, today we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2. We're talking about what God wants. What God wants. Now, in some ways, that's, uh, that's an easy answer uh, in the book of Micah. In some ways, it's real easy because there's one verse that actually answers that question. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Um, uh, Micah reports, what does God require of you, O man, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What does God require of you, O man, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's that's a, that's a quick answer to the question, what does God want? Uh, but for us to understand why Micah said that and why God was communicating that to his hearers then and why he communicates it to us today, we need to go on this journey before you get to verse 8. And we need to understand that God does want us to do justly and to love mercy. Those two uh, infinitives to do justly and to love mercy it talks about our relationships with other people. And then the, the last infinitive, to walk humbly with our God, talks about our relationship with Him, with God Himself. So in that verse, God wants us to relate to Him in a way in which we're humble before Him, submitted to Him, living rightly with Him, and to live among people in such a way that we reflect justice and mercy. We reflect the holiness and the love of God. When we relate to people in a way that, uh, uh, that points them back to who God is in a correct way, then we know that we are doing what God wants. And when we relate to God in a way in which we are humble before Him, submitted to Him, um, walking in intimate fellowship with Him, but understanding that He is God and we are not, uh, then uh, we know that we're doing what God wants. Uh, That journey begins, however, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, we cannot walk rightly with God or with others until we come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Until we repent our sin and place our faith in Jesus, His finished work on the cross as payment for our sin, His resurrection from the dead as the offering and the down payment of new life in Him, until we 
by faith trust Jesus as Savior and King of our life, then we cannot have right relationship with God. So what God wants, first and foremost, is for you and for me to enter into a relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are in that place where you and I today Many of us, most of us perhaps in this room, have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So what does God want from you? What does God want from me as followers of Christ? As we begin in the book of Micah, uh, we begin to hear some, some troubling words. Uh, these are not encouraging words. These are words of judgment. You see, there's a dilemma that has happened for the people of God. Israel and the capital city of Samaria, the northern kingdom, Judah and uh, its capital city of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom, uh, these comprise the 12 tribes of Israel who have taken possession of the land, the northern kingdom and its king, and the southern kingdom and its king. And they are nationally, the people of God, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, however, somewhere along the way began to drift from what God wants. They didn't want more of God. They wanted more of other things. And as they began to drift away from God, they got to a point, they crossed a Rubicon where God's judgment was about to fall. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the lessons that they teach us. And much of Micah is in the negative. Now, just listen, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1, it, it, just, just to get a snapshot. Some of y'all are looking at the clock. Don't worry, I'm not worried about the clock either. Yeah, I'm not either. Uh, so Micah chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, the, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So uh, Micah, his ministry lasted through the, through the reign of three kings in the southern kingdom of Judah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, uh, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Verse 2 is the beginning of his preaching. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I'll pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of the harlot. So, let's stop right there. I mean, judgment's coming. And so much of Micah paints the picture of, 
of Israel and Judah uh, under the weight. In fact, uh, in, in, in verse 9 or 10 or 11 of chapter 1, it says that, that Samaria, her wounds are incurable. Judgment is coming. Um, so as we look at this passage, a couple of things that I want us to do. I, I want us to hear the message of judgment. But I also want us to hear the hope of God's mercy and grace. See, there is time for us. If we're not smack dab in the middle of that kind of consequence over our sin, then there is time for us today for us to escape it. There is an opportunity for us as followers of Christ not to undergo the devastating effects of God disciplining his own people. There's a chance for you and me today. And so we're going to turn it on its head. We're going, to, uh, we're going to hear the judgment and the why of the judgment. Then we're going to turn it around and say, well, if that's why they are judged, then let's not do that. Let's do something different. Does that make sense? So we're going to learn from the negative lesson of Judah and Israel. Judah and Israel are going to be judged. They're going to be judged because of their sin. But what got them to the place of sin. We know that the sin that uh, Micah proclaimed today in chapters 1 and 2, sins of uh, transgression and sin, uh, sins of leadership, uh, Jerusalem, Samaria were the places where those sins were. What's the high place of Jeru uh, Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? What's the sin of, of, uh, some, uh, of uh, Israel? Is it not Samaria? He's talking about the leadership uh, in those nations. So, so something was gone awry in the, in the leadership. And we'll look at that in, a little, in, a, in just a few minutes. So, so we have sin and transgression. In verse uh, uh, seven, we have uh, 6 and 7, we have a picture of idolatry. Uh, you go down to verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through, 1 through 5. You see that uh, there are people who are robbing other people of land. These are uh, Israelites against Israelites, uh, people of Judah against people of Judah, God's people against God's people, uh, showing disrespect and dishonor to God's own people. And, and it, it's internal fighting. It's civil war type fighting. Um, there, there's injustice that's going on. And, and all of this is wrapped up into a core problem that Judah and Israel possessed. This core problem is trust. See, when it comes down to it, what God desires for me and from you as followers of Christ, God desires for us to trust him above all else. God desires for us to trust him above all else. When Micah began to preach to Israel and Judah, to the people of God, these are the people that have been brought out of the land of bondage in, uh, in, in Egypt. They're the ones who uh, the memory of that great exodus was rehearsed day after day after day, year after year after year, generation after generation after generation. These were the people who uh, understood that they had their place in the land of promise because it was what God did for them, not what they did for themselves. And they, uh, they heard the stories of God's great provisions they had heard the stories of David, even as a shepherd boy slaying Goliath. They had heard the stories of how God had, had brought great favor upon his people. But somewhere in that journey, listening to those stories, they stopped trusting God above all else. 
It was during this time, it's around the 8th century, it is the 8th century B.C., and, and in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom, there is great fear taking place. And the reason this fear is taking place is because there is a, a great uh, superpower that's being formed, and that superpower has one purpose, and that is conquest. The superpower's leader is Tiglath-Pileser, number three. And the, the, the superpower itself is called Assyria. And as Assyria begins to rise in power, the people of God, Israel and Judah, begin to shake and tremble in fear. They begin to shake and tremble in fear because they, uh, they could not remember a superpower this super powerful. This was the boogeyman on steroids. And they knew that the Middle East... This segment in which Israel and Judah occupied was on Tiglath-Pileser's radar screen. In fact, all the Middle East was on his radar screen. In the moments of fear, their faith began to shrink. Oh, you could say it began to shrink long before that Tiglath-Pileser showed up or Assyria threatened them. But make no mistake, fear became the fertile soil for their faith to die. Fear can become so toxic for us that it kills our faith. Assyria was the threat. So Israel formed alliances with different nations and, and invited Judah to Form, joined their alliance. Judah said no. Samaria said yes, and the end result was Assyria killed Samaria, crushed it, destroyed it. But Judah was still in the, in the crosshairs. In the end, what Micah is saying is the people of God allowed their fear to overwhelm their faith, but Friends, if you and I are going to escape the kind of consequences over sin that we see in this passage, we must have faith that overwhelms our fear. And that is so possible for us. In fact, that is exactly what needs to happen for us. We need to allow the faith that we have in a God who has loved us and saved us and given us new life through Christ. We need to have that faith awakened fresh and new every morning. And even when the Tiglath-Pileser's and the boogeymen that are super powerful come haunting us, we can stand secure because we know who God is and we know how much he loves us. And the boogeyman may be big and bad, but our God is bigger and batter, and we will win the victory with him. Faith overwhelms fear. Now, I know it's easy for me to stand here and say that. It's a lot more challenging when you're in the trenches feeling the fear, right? But it makes the statement no less true. You know what God wants? He wants you to trust him. That means your faith has to overwhelm your fear. Your faith overwhelms your fears when you remember the character of God. Remember who He is. Remember all that He has done. Remember His heart for you, for His own, and trust Him. We talked about this last week in Romans chapter 8. 
For we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, so let's trust in him. Let's trust in him. Our faith needs to overwhelm our fear. But our faith can only overwhelm our fear when it kills sin at its root. See, our faith has to kill sin at its root. Uh, if you look at verse 13, in verse 13 we see the, the root of the sin uh, for Israel and Judah. It says, O inhabitants of Lachish, harness the chariot to the swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Now you might say, well, where's the beginning of sin there? The beginning of sin is understanding a little bit more about Lachish. L-A-C-H-I-S-H. Lachish. Lachish was established by Solomon as a place to raise horses ready for chariot work. Chariots in that day and time were the bee's knees. That was the way that you won the battle. Chariots were a new way of, of doing war, and those who had chariots, man, they could win battles left and right. So Solomon established Lachish as a place to, to have uh, chariots and to grow horses who were ready to carry the chariots, and, and Rehoboam later on uh, reinforced and and, and fortified that city so that there could, they would be protected as they raised these horses and, and chariots and charioteers. So you might say, well, okay, that's the background. Why is that the root of sin? You look at verse 13. This is the beginning of sin in Zion. You see that? Now why? This was the, the initiation of transgression in Israel. Why? What's the deal? It may seem subtle. It may seem simple, but... It comes down to this. When, when the people of God started trusting in chariots and horses to win the battle rather than God, sin began to grow. Now, let's just keep it real simple and try not to confuse things. There's a lot of words in there, and I just try to keep it as simple as possible. But if we're going to do what God wants, then we need to trust God more than anything else. And when we trust God more than anything else, it gives sin no room to grow in our hearts. Because Israel and Judah gave room for sin to grow, because they were trusting in chariots and horses, again, it's a simple technology that sprang on the scene of their day in their context. It was the iPad of their day. But they trusted in that more than they trusted in God. They, 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 they put their confidence in a chariot rather than God to win a battle. So when Assyria starts marching, they say, well, we need more chariots. But really, they needed more God. You and I are here this morning, and, and we have a temptation to trust in a lot of things that aren't God. 
We, we have these subtle things that begin to weigh heavy on our heart. But the, the easiest pickings are, are the, the money. I mean, money is the easiest one to pick at. Because it's real. It's in our hands. And if we have more money, then we're going to be secure. And that's baloney. Here's what God says. You need to trust in Him above all else. More than chariots, more than horses, more than alliances. Do you realize that the, the, the people of Israel had formed alliances, friendships, and they cared more about those friendships than they did what God said? You know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble when you care more about what your friends want than what God wants. You know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble when you ignore what God wants so that you can do what your friends want. What your friends think becomes the thing that would give you confidence in your day. When God spoke to the children of Israel, Judah, and Israel, Samaria and Jerusalem. He was really judging them guilty for not trusting him. If he were to put you on trial today, would he find you guilty of not trusting him above all else? See, if, if we're going to do what God wants him, we need to trust him. And that means our faith is going to kill sin at its root. It's going, to, it's going to squish sin because it's not going to give sin any room to grow or move. Because we're not going to put our trust in anything other than God. Faith overwhelms fear when faith kills sin at its root. But, but also faith gives us good counsel, the right counsel. Faith tells us, how to live. Now, when I say faith, I'm not talking about any kind of faith. I'm talking about a faith that is walking humbly with your God. What Micah was facing in Israel and in Judah, and he spoke to both nations. What he was facing was uh, a couple of things. First, he had leaders in Samaria and in Jerusalem who were telling the prophets who were speaking on God's behalf, telling them to hush, be quiet. And then they were paying other prophets to say a bunch of good things. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. So the people didn't want to hear what God had to say. They only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. We see this really come alive in, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, uh, uh, Do not prattle, you say to those, uh, do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. So they're saying in verse 6, he said that, that the people or the leaders get together and they say to prophets, don't preach those things. Don't preach disgrace going to overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are, he, are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? See, when you trust the wrong voice, you're only trusting the voice that tells you what you want to hear anyway. 
Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep walking that way. But faith, faith doesn't just want to hear what it wants to hear. Faith wants to hear what God says. You see, when we listen to God's counsel, then he speaks peace, the wholeness and fullness of life to us. We listen to our own counsel or we listen to the counsel of others. And and essentially what we're saying is, look, I'm just going to tell myself what I want to hear. Or I'm going to surround myself with people who are going to tell me and and just reinforce the things I'm already doing. That's what I want. But faith says, I want to listen to what God says. Because when God speaks, he gives me wholeness of life. Psalm 85, verse 8 says, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear. I'm going to, I'm going to trust in the, in the voice of the Lord. For when the Lord speaks, he speaks peace to us. Look, I'm, I'm going to trust what God says. Now, y'all may be smart people, and y'all might even like me. But... As smart and as kind as you may be, you are not nearly smart enough or kind enough to tell me more than what God has to say. See, we need to listen to God more than our friends, more than our alliances, more than our emotions, and more than our fears. When we listen to the right voice, through faith, trusting that what God says and the directions he gives and the path he tells us to walk, that's going to lead where I want it to lead. In fact, that's what verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2 teach us. See, verse 12 and 13 is a turnaround. Um, It's a change in tone. It's future-oriented. It's focused on those who are walking humbly with the Lord. Look at verse 12. He says, I will surely, this is God speaking, I will surely assemble all of you O Jacob, I'll gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make loud noise because of so many people, and no one who breaks open will come up before them. They'll break out, pass through the gate, go by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. So he's saying, when we listen to the voice of the Lord, when we walk humbly with our God, when we submit ourselves to him, then he'll lead us. He will He he will lead us as a king to victory. He'll lead us as a shepherd to nourishment and protection. He'll lead us to life. So today we have a choice. And the choice is before us. We can either trust God above all else or not. If we trust God above all else, then we will live. But as followers of Jesus Christ, if we chase after other things, when we start chasing after other things, trusting in other things, that's when we're in trouble. Today, trust God above all else and live. Don't and face the consequences of God's discipline. Just that simple.